Hello, I'm Ryan Cook, and this is Civic Tech Chat, a show that looks at the way technology, politics, and policy impacts the world around us, the tools we use, the way services are delivered, and how we talk about and set policy all shape our society. We'll gather around and have a chat about these things together and more. Either that, or maybe I'll rant about a topic for a while. Before we get started, I do want to let you all know that we've started a Discord for the podcast. There will be a link with an invite down in the episode description. Do feel free to go check that out. It's a small community right now, but hoping to grow it. It's a great way to reach out to me and let me know things that you might want us to cover, or to just hang out and talk about civic tech. Anyway, let's go ahead and start the show. Adam, thank you so much for joining us here on Civic Tech Chat. Could you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you do? Thank you, Ryan. Uh, yeah, Adam Probalski. I'm president of Probalski Research. We are a uh, Latina and woman-owned opinion and market research firm, uh, which means we uh, do uh, polling and focus groups and other kinds of original research um, for everybody from government agencies to corporate uh, entities to nonprofits. Um, and uh, looking forward to chatting. Adam, what do you? What would you say is your personal why? That thing that drives you to get out of bed each morning and do what you do. Is it wrong to say to make money? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I I think that's the the reason I I think I do not 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 the altruistic one, but just you know that's what what motivates you to get it done. Um, I, look, I'm I'm naturally curious. And I think that's important uh, in my business. Uh, want to learn. I, I like to be the person that learns on a regular basis. So maybe that's a, a, a more appropriate answer. Are there any pieces of media, whether a podcast, book, video, or some other such thing like that, that you'd recommend to folks to check out? Uh, I, I'm a big fan of geography. Uh, and I think it's like really affects everything that we do. And, and it's a kind of a lost science. Um, so uh, there's a book, Ken Jennings uh, uh, has a book on geography uh, that I think um, is, is really, really kind of fun. And another one called um, uh, Why Geography Matters by a guy whose name I can't pronounce. Uh, so I, I think, I think if, if we all had a better sense of geography, I think we'd all you know, be able to get along a lot better uh, and have a sense of that history uh, like Iran I mean I- Iran's been invaded like 400 times so then you get the sense of like oh now I know why they're you know a little bit defensive <laughs> um, so geography is helpful well I think we can go ahead and segue into our main topic where we're going to be talking a bit about things like opinion research and how that feeds into government as folks might gather from that personal why question I asked, something that I, I like to do is kind of start with why as we get like kind of going into a, into a topic. So uh, Adam, in your view, like why should one go about the practice of doing opinion research? Sure. So um, you can fly blind and you can fly by your gut and you can uh, probably do fairly well with that. And quite frankly, most people and organizations do. Uh, but if you have the benefit of having uh, a budget, not a massive budget, but a little bit of money to be able to test uh, w- w- the message and, and how to communicate and, and how to kind of get from A to B, 
you're going to be just so much better off and being on the mark and being responsive to your constituency, uh, whether you know, you're a government agency or, or a corporation, you, you know, knowing what people really think, how they think, what their behaviors are. And, and if you're trying to move the dial, to, to know what is going to move them. Uh, so it, it's just logic. Uh, if you believe in the, the art and science of research, then you're going to be much better off in having that on your side. In an interview you did, you did with the Orange County Register, you mentioned that you see polling as a bridge between policymakers and the public. Uh, you then go on to describe three things that are foundational to that uh, metaphorical bridge. Could you talk a, a bit about that for folks? Sure. So, so this gets into the, the specifics of, of what we do in general uh, when it comes to opinion research. What we, we tend to do is first test, you know, do you support or oppose, whatever it is, the building the new sewer plant or, or uh, you know, making the, the mayor, you know, an elected position, directly elected to the public or, uh, you know, raising sewer rates, whatever it is uh, that you're trying to accomplish. Or in the case of, a, you know, business, you know, support or oppose. The, the, the new housing development. Um, and so we tend to test that and see where people are. Then we tend to test the message. So, and the message is, and so let's say you're trying to build new houses. Um, well, you know, you might have opposition to the homes, but you might have support for the million dollars that are going to be put towards transportation uh, improvements or the, the $2 million that can be put towards uh, schools uh, or, or whatever other resources that are out there. So you're going to test those different messages to see, okay, what brings people on board to be supportive of whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. And then, so that's the message. Um, then there's the mode. How do they communicate? So we'll probably talk about it more later, but in polling, right, we are now in a multi-mode scenario where we talk to people on the phone and on email and on text and, and in the mail and all these different environments online. So uh, we need to figure out where people are spending their time. Are, are they all on Nextdoor or are they all on YouTube or are they all still having landlines, you know, and, and making sure we're communicating with them how they like to communicate and getting them messages at the places where they spend time. And then the third part, that's the, the, the mode, and then their third part is the, the message carrier. Uh, who is it that's going to be effective? Is it, is it the mayor that's going to be effective? Is it the CEO that's going to be effective as a message carrier? Or is it the public works you know, guy who, or gal who have a helmet, you know, a, a white helmet, uh, and, and are, are, you know, look like they're doing something with their hands? You know, or is it the scientist with the pocket protector? Uh, or is it the spokesperson in a suit? Who is the best message carrier? to kind of communicate what, what, what it is you're trying to communicate, who's respected. And that could be different, by the way, for different groups. So one of the things that polling tells you is, yeah, overall you have support, or overall they like the message of, of you know, more money for schools. But it turns out that seniors care more about water quality and you know, younger people care more about traffic. And, and then and seniors you know, are more, much more respect the general manager of the agency versus young people who you know, respect the, the local influencer or whatever you know, thing we're trying to accomplish. So um, really it's, it's, it's part of the value of the research is to really be able to segment your mode and your message and your message carrier to really focus in on who it is you're trying to to move or who it is you're trying to educate and inform. Adam, I think something I'm hearing in there is that you might actually do some research just to figure out who that best carrier is. 
to kind of and try to match that as concerns. Am, am I hearing that correctly there? Yeah, for sure. So so um, on a you know water conservation message, who is it that you're going to trust? Is it is it uh, the the director of the state water agency, um, or is it the uh, you know the, the 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 climate action scientist, uh, or is it the the environmentalist, um, or or is it the the mayor? You know, and 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 try to figure out, or the legislature, or the governor, try to figure out who it is that people are going to be responsive to. And oftentimes, you know, someone or some entity rises to the top, and we uh, we kind of recommend that be the, the the main focus of who the message carrier should be. But like I said, sometimes different groups are much more responsive to different types of message carriers and you you have the luxury oftentimes especially in a digital world of segmenting who you're talking to in those different environments uh, or in direct mail even and and using those particular message carriers that are most effective something i'm, I'm kind of curious about i actually realize this, this is definitely not a question from the sheet but uh you know, folks have seen kind of uh, effectively like polling come out about like level of trust in government, which I think would maybe relate to some like as you're say, if you're looking at should I have a person in an authoritative position of government be the messenger for this? Is that something you've seen bear out in, in your experience in recent times or or not so much? The truth is, about six years ago, we saw a precipitous drop in trust in government and all institutions in this country. Uh, or just all institutions in general. There was just a collapse of trust uh, in, in any kind of formal entity. And we have started to, in the last year and a half or so, kind of come back a little bit from that. But, but yeah, it's, it's a big problem because it's not just, uh, you know, the Congress, right? We used to have the scenario where, you know, I'm kind of stacking my hands here, right, where, where local government is on top and legislature, whoever, whatever state it is in the middle, and, you know, the U.S. Congress is the bottom, right? Where you, but, but this place where we held up high our local agencies, our regional agencies, our counties, our, our, our cities, and, and we felt like they were, we were close to them and they had our best interests at heart. And we saw that really just bottom out altogether. Uh, and the same thing went for even nonprofits and, and, and you know, everyone from the CIA to the, to the, 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 the local parks district. So, I mean, it became a real problem to find the message carrier. Uh, I think we're seeing that come back a little bit. Um, and we do see pockets of um, places like for specific, and I talk a lot about water because we do a lot with water, but water agencies do still have a lot of credibility. Uh, and certain local agencies still have credibility. And there are outliers where where the, the city or the county has kind of uh, built a lot of great trust over the last couple of years, and people do have faith in them. But in general, it is a challenge because institutions across the board are way lower than where they were before. I think you started to allude to this a bit uh, from the original question, but uh, I imagine it can be kind of difficult these days to get a representative sample as you're trying to figure out what a community is thinking on an issue. Uh, and you mentioned things like there's different mediums for communication and technology has changed those a bit. Like for example, I'm, landline use has gone down quite a bit. And I've heard that cited uh, in commentary about, about polling. Is, uh, I guess, is that particular example something that's uh, particularly challenging? And what other challenges have you run into with those communication mediums? So I, I hate to be the one that's contrary, but um, the, the narrative that it's harder to poll today than it was at any other time is so off base 
and, and it's really easy for me to explain it. 20 years ago, uh, we had to call you at dinner time. It was the only way to get a representative poll and convince you to you know, step away from your, your biscuits or whatever it was and talk to us for 20 minutes. Now, I get to call you on your mobile. I get to send you an email. I get to send you a text. I can send you a piece of mail. I can send you, you know, with a QR code. I can talk to you while you're walking the dog because you've got AirPods in. I can talk to you while you're driving to the office because you're on speaker. There is so much more opportunity uh, for me to, for our interviewers to talk to you or let you respond online at two o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the afternoon. So it has only gotten dramatically easier, actually, to do survey research, to get responses, to be representative. Um, there's all kinds of new ways. There's panel, uh, people who sign up for panels to, to respond to surveys. I can recruit people by social media, really targeted, not just like, hey, do you want to take a survey and hope they live in, you know, in Dallas, in Dallas. I can actually send, um, I can, it's called a custom audience. I can target only people in Dallas uh, by uploading a list of consumers to Facebook and, and, and have ads going directly to them on Facebook and, and Instagram only to the people that live in those communities. So, and, and obviously you can call and, and um, it is infinitely easier to, to get the job done. It's a narrative that I think somehow, maybe some pollsters started because they wanted to charge more money, um, but it is actually <laughs> less expensive today than it was before. I, I think something I'm hearing, hearing there is that like there's more opportunities for contact and that maybe even the medium itself becomes kind of data that you have. It, it itself kind of communicates something. Am, am I kind of hearing that correctly? So data is a, a, a big part of, of the business beyond the answers to the questions because we have underlying data. So um, let's say we're dealing with something that's on a policy level or an election level you know, for, for a city or county or even statewide ballot measure. Um, then you're using typically the voter file, which has, in most states, has a very rich set of information. Your age, your gender, your, your, where you were born, uh, the, the, your language preference, uh, your party, all those different things. Uh, incidentally, in Hawaii, they, they don't tell me how old you are. They, they stopped looking at that in like 1992, which is kind of annoying. But in most places, they have a lot of data. You know, how often you vote, when you vote, when you return your ballot, if you're voting by, by mail. So uh, that is a big part of it because I can use that as a starting point before I even ask questions. We can do the analytics to, to get some of the initial understanding and answers. Um, and then uh, on, the, uh, on the consumer side, if we're not dealing with something that's election related, uh, but still most likely public policy, which is a lot of what we do, but it could be market research too, um, we are for better or for worse, a data-driven society where, you know, I, I don't know how much money you have in your bank account, Ryan, but I know you bank with Wells Fargo. And I know there's between 50000 and $250,000 in there. And I know that, that you, um, you have six credit cards. And, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of 
pulling these numbers out of out of thin air. But but the truth is, if I looked you up in in, in data, I would have that information. Uh, it, it, you know, Experian and all these other companies collect that, and we have access to it. Uh, so so yeah, we have our starting point today is much much better than it was years ago because we have you know I know what sub magazine subscriptions you have so I can I can kind of presuppose um, you know that, that you have a cat and you own a gun and you you, you know uh, go to Disney uh, on a regular basis because of your consumer habits that are fully available and we can all lament like how outrageous that is but the data's out there, so we're going to use it, and, and it's just the reality of the consumer society we live in today. And the, uh, the listeners can have fun trying to figure out which of the random examples actually uh, apply to me in this, in this case. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so you bring up data, and I think something that I would imagine happens is you're, you're getting data from a bunch of different sources of varying types. Uh, it can kind of go th into a research engagement. Can you talk a bit about the process of distilling all of that information down into something that leads to, you know, maybe something actionable or something you can draw a conclusion from. Sure. So we start with the the first uh, start starting point is universe. Who are we talking to? Are we talking to voters if it's something election related, or are we talking to consumers if it's something not specifically ele or election related uh, that that makes it not allowed? You you can't use the voter file unless it's election related. And then from there, we sit down with the client, and if it's a company that's trying to sell widgets, or or it's a, a city that's trying to um, you know check on their customer service and what people think about you know from a best. Uh, uh, management practices, best practices, how are we going to improve our services and be more responsive to the public? Or, you know, we've got a finite uh, discretionary budget. You know, we, we spend $50 million a year as a city, um, and, and literally like $5 million of that isn't programmed. Where should we put that to be responsive to the public? So, we then sit down with the client, and these days it's a lot of time on Zoom, but we, we love being in person, and we say, okay, what, what do we want to accomplish? What do we want to learn? Uh, and, and oftentimes we're using questions that are kind of similar to other public agencies because they want to have comparison data. But most of the time it's kind of unique things that we're asking about that community. And then uh, we, we uh, have the questionnaire that's, that's approved by the client. We do the, the field work, meaning we call people, we email them, we text them, we send them you know, uh, mail, whatever it takes in that particular community to make sure we can get a representative sample. And that is so critical here, making sure we have the right number of, you know, people in each age group, uh, in, in each gender, uh, ethnicity, all those things to make sure we're really matching that community when we're done. And then uh, in the end, yeah, that report is actionable. Our goal is, or our biggest fear is kind of delivering some sort of mind-numbing set of numbers that no one's going to do anything with. Our goal is to give these like very quick actionable moments of, you know, here's what they think and here's what you can do to make a change. You know, here's what they think and here's why they think you're doing a great job at it. Um, and so uh, it's, it's our job from a data visualization standpoint to make sure that everything we provide is, is actionable on, on the part of the, the, the agency or the client we're working with. As you're working with those agencies and clients, have you ever found yourself in a position where you've had to kind of advocate like, hey, like, no, this data is useful to what you're trying to do? Uh, and if so, like, how have you gone about trying to tell that story? As I imagine it can be difficult at times. Yeah, uh, and it, it happens, 
obviously it's much more fun when you're working with a client who trusts the science of, of research and, and the math and appreciate it and, and really kind of want to uh, use the data to, to the benefit of the community or, or their constituency. Um, and, and yes, there are definitely moments where someone says, I don't believe you, or, or you know, I didn't get a call, so it can't be real, uh, or, or um, it just doesn't fit their narrative, their, their idea of how things are supposed to go or what people are supposed to think in their minds, so they're going to discount it. And uh, I, there's, there's not a lot that can be done other than point to the body of work out there of opinion research that is, is you know, 99.9% accurate, uh, and you can point out some of the really negative and, and, and um, things that, that show that they're, they're not accurate, but in the vast majority of, of, of uh, professionals who do what I do, the results we deliver are accurate at that moment. Now, obviously, factors change, so if you say, oh, well, the election changed and, you know, six weeks later something different happened, well, we can explain that away. But if someone generally does not want to believe in the data, there's not a lot we can do. Uh, you know, it, it's um, it, if you have an agenda that is counter to what the results are, I'm probably not going to convince you, and uh, and that's probably pretty sad because uh, you can um, you can have a differing viewpoint. Uh, I, I love the phrase "I disagree." Uh, I really despise the phrase, uh, you, you know, expletive, expletive, expletive. Um, you know, you know, uh, I hate you. You know, it, it's just not productive. Uh, and I'm a I'm a policy guy who who loves data and and you know we generally you know we don't get it wrong. I mean we, we, we have an accuracy rate of 100 uh, percent when it comes to predicting outcomes. Uh, so I, I I can only point to the data and then that's about as far as I can go. As a, as you think about uh, on your work uh, putting together the sort of data, are there are there any, any anecdotes top of mind for like oh like we did this research and it ultimately like led to this. Uh, you know, public policy proposal or, or change uh, that you'd be willing to share? Sure. I mean, all, all the time. I mean, we, we did, we do uh, the poll in a little town in New Jersey that asked the public whether they, they wanted to pay for a community center. I mean, it, it's, I know it sounds like, you know, kind of silly, but boom, it tells you right there, they're not willing to spend the money. So the city isn't, the town isn't going to spend the money. Uh, or right now we're doing a lot of work on conservation in the Western U.S., uh, trying to understand you know, we've been in the Western U.S. We've been, you know, under kind of drought conditions on and off for, you know, for decades. And, and so there's this constant drone of use less, you know, you do more with less, you know, conserve or be efficient. And so we're at this point where we've got to make incremental improvements. And how do we do that? So we've got to ask the questions. Do you think you can do more? You know, what is it? Would you would you rather, you know, have a, a rebate on efficient appliance, water efficient appliances or would you rather have someone, you know, come to your home and give you tips on how to fix things. I'll tell you right now, they do not want anybody coming to their home. Um, you know, they do not want, you know, we're from the government, we're here to help you save water. Uh, they want, you know, they'll install whatever appliance you tell them to install, just don't show up. Um, and so our job is to is to figure that out. And yeah, there's there's constant examples of you know figuring out what that nuance to the message is to get people to be a little bit more uh, conscious of their conservation uh, and water efficiency. Um, and the same thing goes for for let's say the kind of typical customer service or issue or, or budget prioritization um, where. 
you know, a small town or, or even a big city where you have the public saying that they're they're really upset about sidewalks. Uh, you know, an older community where you've got uh, trees that are encroaching on sidewalks and and much, you know pushing them up. Um, you, you've got to have that balance between preserving trees and 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 um, and keeping sidewalks safe. And so sometimes the polling says sidewalks are the priority. It's okay to get rid of the trees. And you know, uh, it, it's I know that's like sounds like super detailed and in the weeds, but that's what public policymakers have to deal with on a regular basis, and that's what staff has to deal with on a regular basis you know how do we make these hard decisions uh and and research will tell you oftentimes is it okay to have crappy sidewalks or is it okay to get rid of the trees and which one you're going to do first something i'm kind of curious about since you mentioned the like conservation and kind of like the western region specifically is uh i've heard that like conservation is probably something particularly in that region that's a concern that kind of crosses political ideologies perhaps because it's something that's like kind of like more real and, and in your face in, in that region. Is that yeah. something you've kind of seen bear out? Like, is there general consensus? Maybe not like, hey, someone should show up to your house, as, as you mentioned, but like that some community action is probably needed uh, to address those concerns. I, I think one of the challenges is um, everything's become partisan uh, and everything's become so divided. And so, yes, in a place like California or in a place like Nevada, where, you know, from a, a, a water resource standpoint, we all know that we're, we're, we're short on water and we've got to make a change. Um, yes, I think there's kind of general consensus. But as soon as you start talking about the solutions or long-term solutions, you have big divergence in, in, in support. So, for instance, you've got this, this kind of conservative, you know, kind of Republican understanding of we need more surface storage. We need to, to store more water. And then you've got, you know, maybe a more progressive uh, or, or democratic perspective of we need to, you know, maybe limit growth or, 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 or you know, ch change, uh, change the way we, we, uh, we deliver water. And, and there's this like, you know, that you're going to start very quickly becoming partisan uh, once you get beyond, yeah, we need to, you know, we need to have a better water resource, you know, you know goal. So I, I think what I'm hearing there is effectively like same goal, but different, different paths to get there. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's just the case for almost every public policy uh, issue these days. We're, we're starting to find that as, uh, and maybe to some degree it's partisan or it's just kind of, um, it, it, it's just diverging paths. Uh, and, and, and part of it also is, is the, the um, democratization of information. Uh, and and the ease of which we can we can spread disinformation, you know your your your, your city has a fifty million dollar budget, you know twenty two million goes towards cops, you know eighteen million goes towards towards the firefighters, uh, or, or you know whatever. There's a you know twelve million dollar water department. I mean the, the money is like specifically programmed. It's not like um, it, it's not like. Uh, uh, you know, there's money flying out the door to, to you know, to, 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 to people going on vacation to Hawaii. So, so 
really but the the narrative sometime on next door could be very easily you know omg you know they just bought you know a new you know all new police cars and they didn't need them or, or i can't believe they just spent fifty thousand dollars on a new website you know those are the those are always the things that people get so upset about the ones that they all kind of understand because like they can build a website or wordpress site for twelve dollars um so it's like how could you possibly spend fifty thousand dollars on that or or the um the rebranding, you know, oh, we don't need rebranding. We don't need to attract, you know, uh, tourism. And, you know, and, and you can make that direct correlation between spending $100,000 on rebranding and, and you, you know, the, the millions of dollars in revenues you get from, from tourism or from, from, from business uh, coming to town. But, but it's really easy to throw, throw rocks at, at something like that. And, and so that narrative quickly can get out of hand. And which, by the way, is one of the, one of the reasons why why the the uh, the research is so helpful because you have this moment where where you have these sixteen people showing up and being angry or fifty people on next door saying mean things, and then you can show from a public opinion standpoint broadly people don't care or broadly people are supportive because they're they're just not as engaged as those 50 people they just generally say yeah city's doing a good job or yeah it's smart to spend the money in that way and you can kind of counter that that negative messaging that's out there as uh we continue to talk about and, and mention polling I, I think a lot of folks when i say that word maybe start to picture those kind of like horse race polls that you know there's a lot of stuff on the news about as you get closer to an election that seems to be like the the, the hot item in those stories um how does the work that goes into those differ from the sort of research that we've been talking about so far? I mean, so first, foundationally, it's a voter file, which is tend to, what we tend to use. Um, and uh, and that, you know, gives us that perspective of, of all the background information, not the consumer stuff, but the, the party and the age and the gender and all that, that kind of similarly is on consumer, but more data on the the about about politics on your on your election file. So foundationally, that's the big difference. And then obviously, our goal is um, to understand who's going to win. You know, it's it's not just what do you think and how do you feel and what messages sell. It's it's oftentimes you know in a political sense, it's, it is the horse race. Does measure you know a pass or fail. And then what are the motivational messages that will move you towards it? So it's not that different than, you know, a ballot measure is not that different than a candidate. Uh, than a, than a, they're basically the same thing. We're just trying to figure out where we are today, what messages move people, uh, pro and con, and then, and then what's going to happen in the end and predict the outcome uh, and, and drive the, the outreach messages, the campaign itself. Um, whereas policy-wise, um, uh, you know, we're – uh, we're not necessarily trying to always move the dial, although sometimes we are. Um, and we're always super conscious, um, depending on the laws of the state, um, you know, almost in every case, uh, government can't advocate for uh, the passage or failure of, of a ballot measure or, or a candidate, of course. But they can certainly be in the business most of the time of uh, educating the public on the the pros and cons of let's say a ballot measure um, passing or failing. You know, you can say, look, um, 
if this ballot measure passes, uh, we get to have you know pretty parks and 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 green grass and 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 a playground for everyone. If it fails, uh, we're going to put chain link fences around the parks. They're going to go brown, and nobody gets to play in the park. Um, now, uh, that's kind of a dramatic uh, messaging there, but that's the kind of thing that could potentially be done uh, by uh, a local jurisdiction um, or even a state agency. Uh, Versus, uh, versus actually advocating, where in election polling, it's, it's, it's a campaign whose specific agenda is to pass or fail a measure or a candidate. And, and they're much more aggressive in their words and much more vote yes, vote no, whereas government can't do that. Yeah, and as we're talking about those campaigns that kind of, you know, they have an agenda, they're kind of being aggressive about a thing they want, they want you to think. A, uh, a technique that uh, often is used by those organizations is a thing called push polling where effectively maybe is more of a tool of persuasion than about like trying yeah. to figure out where people are. Let, uh, let, is let that me, a practice uh, that you think is effective or like, what, I guess like what's your hot take on? Yeah. Let, let me, let me, let me, that, that's a very sensitive top subject for pollsters. No pollster you've ever heard of, seen, uh, whatever, you, you know, engage with has ever done a push poll. Uh, a, a, a push poll and it's a crappy set of words because it doesn't, it's, it's very incongruent to the research. Uh, what, what you'd consider a push poll is um, someone, uh, a campaign, calling 10,000 or 100,000 people or some massive number of people saying, hey, did you know that, that Smith uh, got a DUI and, and ran over three people and, and you know, served uh, uh, you know, three years of probation? No? Okay, thanks. Goodbye. You know, that's a push poll. And, and, that's, and that's just a, a crock of shit, right? It, it, it's, it's, it's not, you know, in any way a set of research. Research will, absolutely, what we do, we absolutely ask a question that is aimed to push people in one direction and see if they are responsive to that message and see if they will gravitate towards that. But we are asking 300 or 400 or 800 people or 1,200 people, whatever it is, a question in order to understand the, out, the, the research. And we're never going to say something that's totally outright a lie. Right? We're never going to call someone a child molester when they're not. Um, we may ask a question about the DUI and say, if you knew Smith had a DUI and served three years of probation, would that make you more likely or less likely to vote for them in the context of you know, 20 or 30 or 50 other questions? But, but it's really in the, in the interest of research, uh, not in the interest of, of educating the public or, or well, I mean, not even educating, in the, the, in the interest of you know, messing with, with people's minds and, and uh, putting a message out there. That is never the aim of research. And I, I think you might have been getting into the space with uh, kind of being able to talk about this being a bit of like a sensitive term and topic for folks in the profession. Yeah. Is that something y'all struggle with is like that kind of con, uh, conflation between the two things? Like that first thing you describe where it's like clearly, oh, I'm trying to make, cause you to think this thing. It's not research uh, versus, you know, your other methods that, that introduce that research rigor is more of a curiosity based thing than a persuasion thing. Sure. So, uh, if you if you look at next door, when any pollster, uh, any researcher is doing research in any particular community, um, the people that don't like the questions or are upset at city hall or the you know county hall administration um, are going to typically in in those next door conversations say, 
oh, this was a push poll because they were only asking questions about blah, blah, blah. Um, and so, sure, it, it, it's, it's definitely something that comes up. And then it's our job as researchers when we make a presentation to the, the policymakers, to the council or the staff or whatever it is to say, you know, to counter that, make clear, you know, this was research. Uh, we did uh, want to test messages, and we did. Um, but in no way were we trying to influence the outcome uh, broadly. We might have been trying to influence uh, people who were responding to the survey to see how they would respond to messages. So, for instance, for a tax measure, um, we might say if you knew that you know everybody's you know would get puppies and kittens and and you you know you know have rainbow skittles for everybody, um, you know if you passed and and if it failed, um, you, you know we would we would uh, have an earthquake and and uh, you know the the demons would rise from the from the earth. Uh, would you be more or less likely? You know, I mean, we, we might ask questions that are, are really uh, charged, but again, the goal is to understand what people's response would be uh, and, and how they would be, uh, uh, how would they be moved by those messages. Sometimes things that are, are things that City Hall might talk about, positive stuff, and also sometimes what the, the naysayers, what we know the taxpayer group might say. We want to make sure we ask those questions to understand the real impact on the outcome because we ask the ballot question again at the end. And we, we, you know, to see how those push and pull, you know, the neighbor-to-neighbor -neighbor conversations would affect the, the outcome of the, of the election once we test those things. I think something I'm hearing there is that at times uh, folks, even public officials, might receive like the results of your research through their own lens and kind of with their own like internal biases there already. Is that a struggle you've had with like folks you've worked with? If so, like how do you go about addressing that in the conversation? For sure. It's a, it's a big part of what we, what we deal with. Um, and uh, what we do is try to set up very early on in the process that this is research, it's statistically valid, it's representative, and this is what your public thinks. And, and it may be counter to what you think. It may be counter to what, what you've heard out there. You know, it's pretty hard, I think, for policymakers because they're in the supermarket. They're, you know, in the public. Um, they, they go to events all the time, ribbon cuttings or whatever it is, and they hear from their constituents. And oftentimes it's a little bit of an echo chamber. Uh, and, and they really, you know, just hear from the people that want to tell them what they want to hear or people complaining. And so, yeah, it's a bit of a challenge for us just to make it clear that this is math. It's a little bit of art, but mostly, mostly the science of re research. And, and these are the real numbers that represent your constituency. And, and even if you don't think it quite aligns with what you're familiar with or what you've heard, um, the reality is it is real. Uh, and, and usually there's some validating data throughout the poll, throughout the survey, or, or focus groups or whatever we're doing, that they can say, oh, yeah, I believe that. So it's harder for them to say, oh, I don't believe the other one. Uh, so hopefully they, they find something that they can latch on to, even if they don't necessarily want to believe the data. So, Adam, it's not, you know, every day on the podcast that I get to have someone on with, you know, expertise in polling. And uh, so I, there's, a, there's a kind of a question that I almost feel forced to, to, to try to ask out of curiosity. And that's that uh, folks might be aware that there's been this kind of commentary that happens with each election cycle in recent times that, oh, the polls have gotten it wrong in some way and like trying to predict the result. Uh, like, what's your perspective, or dare I say, hot take uh, on that narrative? So, I, I, at the the risk of of uh, sounding, you know, 
self-serving, we have a 100% accuracy rate of predicting outcomes. So, I, I, and I'm, I'm an advocate for our industry. It's not, you know, you don't have to hire me. You know, you, you can hire any researcher that, that's good at what they do. And so I don't, um, I, I don't really know uh, necessarily what, um, uh, I, I don't know what the problem is that, that those folks are having, <laughs> getting the numbers right, some of those people. But um, I'll tell you the, the challenges that I think some people face when it comes to polling. Um, nationally, it's kind of hard because you do have 50 unique states, so presidential is a little bit more of a challenge. I don't do presidential polling, so maybe that, that makes it easier for me. Um, but... Uh, but if you're if you're not engaging, if if your pollster is stuck in 1996, then there's a good chance that they're not going to uh, get the numbers right. So if you're not embracing the multi-mode environment, if you're not meeting voters or, or people who are responding to your surveys where they are, which is largely online today, then you're going to have a, a challenge on your hands in getting good data. Um, the other thing that I think is more important than anything else is the poll of polls which is this, this thing that we, we, we desperately crave we, uh, as, as Americans or people in general. You know, I want to see the aggregate of all the data and tell me the answer. And there's nothing accurate about that because the methodology of poll A is different than B, is different than C, and all of a sudden you put those numbers together and you just have a massive pile of garbage. So uh, when, you, when you see a poll of polls, some aggregated data set, it is, it is totally useless. But we like it because it's fun to look at and it makes us feel like we're doing something sophisticated. We're taking some sort of numbers and putting them together and being sophisticated in our approach. So I think that's the biggest problem I've seen. Um, but I'll give you an example of, of a thing that we don't do that you think everybody else does. If I was calling you and asking you a question about the upcoming you know, midterm election in November, I would never ask you if you were planning on voting. Because the truth is, I already know whether you're going to vote. I have a very clear picture of your voting history, and I'm not going to ask you that question because you lie. Why do you lie? Because the American experience is that we are a democracy and that we're, we're you know, we're not really, but, but we're, we're a democracy and that we, we, we should all vote, right? My social contract is that I'm going to vote because it's the right thing to do. So the actual turnout's going to be, whatever, 42% and in the primary, and, and, and you know, I'm going to get 77% of people say they're voting yes. In what world is that useful for me? So you really need to look at the previous data and the, the analytics to, to inform who it is you're even going to ask the questions to. And, and that's like a big factor. So um, I think there's a ton of great researchers out there, a ton of great pollsters, um, and then there's some people that are just putting out crap numbers, and you've got to be a little discerning. Uh, and and if someone is 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 uh, you, you know uh, you can be a partisan if you want, but you've also got to be you know accurate in your data. And and if you're 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 not realistic in what you're presenting, uh, you're going to have a problem in, in it. And and sometimes people just do that sort of thing for press, um, but it, it's it's uh, their credibility just gets killed the minute they they they're really really wrong. Adam, thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your day to join us here on Civic Tech Chat. Uh, I have no doubt that folks have gotten to learn uh, a bit more about opinion research and how it might you know, uh, serve a purpose in communities around them. Thank you very much for having me. You can follow us on Twitter using the handle at Civic Tech Chat. Visit us on the web at civictech.chat. 
or subscribe to us for content updates wherever it is you download your podcasts.